0: This message was recorded at Devoted Leaders, a leadership conference hosted by Christ Central. Christ Central is a family of churches served by an apostolic team led by Jeremy Simpkins. We work with over 275 churches in more than 25 nations and are part of the wider New Frontiers family. For more details about Christ Central, please visit christcentralchurches.org.
1: So a 2003 publication listed a number of things that were quite startling statistics. The publication was called Pastors at Greater Risk. And it said some of the stats were this. 80% believed that pastoral ministry affected their families negatively. 75% of pastors reported they'd had a significant stress-related crisis at least once in their ministry. 90% felt they were inadequately trained to deal with ministry demands. 80% 80% of pastors said they had insufficient time with their spouse. 45% said they had experienced depression or burnout to the extent they needed to take a leave of absence from ministry. And 70% said they didn't have someone they considered a close friend. Now, you could argue that was way back in 2003. You might argue with me that say, you might say, well, Graham, that was an American study. It's different here. I wonder if it really is particularly straight after the last couple of years of COVID. A recent survey of Christ Central leaders in the UK showed that out of those who responded, 53% said that their stress levels had increased in the last six months and 47% had sought additional support with their stress levels. That is a survey from this month in this country amongst our churches so i want to suggest to you that the important this subject of well-being is really important and i guess the fact that you're here either means that the other two seminars weren't interesting to you or more likely you think that this is important for you too these are critical issues the importance of leading yourself and being aware of these subjects is vital I don't know about you, but it seems like everyone has something to say about the subject of well-being at the moment, don't they? I mean, all over the NHS website is about well-being. If you, work, if you work in a secular environment, probably your employer has got a well-being policy. One of the hats that I wear is as a school governor and a school that I was involved with, you know, they were looking at the subject of well-being and writing a well-being policy for their staff. You may even have one. For your church staff but it's good that people are talking about it but I was wondering what has God got to say about it you were wondering that as well weren't you I wonder what God might have to say about these issues and are they relevant for us as leaders earlier in the year in Jubilee in Derby uh, the church where where I lead the team we worked through a series called God's Plan for Your Well-Being. We based it on this book by Dave Smith. It's in the bookstore. You can get it while you're here. We didn't preach through the book per se, but we did use it as an outline of some things to cover and some things that are going to be helpful to us. And our small groups went through it together as well. And this is an area you want to dive into more. This has got some great uh, examples and some material that you can use it gave us a framework to start talking about this subject so i think these issues around well-being and leading yourself and being aware of these sort of things they're all connected and they're all important So some years ago in Jubilee, I asked our life group leaders two questions. I said, number one, who is the hardest person in Jubilee for me to lead or to pastor? And secondly, who's the most important person? for me to lead or pastor? Well, for the first question, when I said, who's the hardest person in the church for me to pastor, there were some knowing looks between couples and some nudges went along as, as wives said to their husbands, I it's you. They were close. But actually, the hardest person for me to lead or pastor and the most important person for me to lead is me. Above leading my family or church, it's about I've got to take responsibility for leading me. You are the most important person for you to lead. Before any responsibility that God has given you in your home, in your church, or in any environment, you are the most important person for you to lead. I think Jeremy referred to the verse in in 1 Timothy 4 a little bit earlier, where, where Paul says to Timothy, watch your life and doctrine closely. But do you notice it's not watch somebody else's life and doctrine closely, it's watch your life and doctrine closely. Some years ago, I was in a meeting where Terry Virgo recommended this book called Finishing Strong by Steve Farrer. It's a, it's, a, it's a book that he recommended, so I thought, uh, as a keen young leader at the time, well, if Tara recommends it, I'm going to buy it and read it. And I did. And it's a book that I keep coming back to and have done over the years. It's primarily written to men. I think a lot of it applies to women as well, but primarily it's written to men. And he says this in it. Men, it doesn't matter if you've had a great start in the Christian life. It doesn't matter if you've stumbled time and again or even fallen flat on your face. What matters most is how you finish. The man, listen to this, the man who hangs in for the long haul with his wife, his kids, and his Lord is an exception these days. Maybe only one man in 10 will do it. And if that doesn't scare and sober you, you didn't hear it right. Maybe only one man in ten will do it. And I remember thinking, oh, gosh, that's nonsense, you know. But actually, over the years, as Jeremy was saying earlier, I've seen people that I've known fall away from God, Come, come, come out of ministry, or be put out of ministry, shipwreck their family and faith. The man who hangs on for the long haul with his wife, kids, and Lord is an exception these days. Wouldn't it be great if we were an exception? But it's not automatic. Finishing strong, leading yourself, being aware of well-being. We might agree that all this is important, but what does it mean and how do you do it? How do you watch yourself? How do you measure how you're doing on some of these things? Well, for more than 20 years, I've used, used a method to help me sort of analyse how I'm doing. I've often taught it to others and uh, used it with various, various contexts of leaders. And I found it interesting that Dave Smith uses the exact same thing in his book. Now, I can't say he got it from me because that wouldn't be fair. But... Um, Maybe you've seen this. This is the similar to the thing I've used for twenty or so years, and it's what what Dave Smith uses in his book. It's six gauges, and what I'd like you to do in the notebook that we provided for you in your delegate bag, your delegate bags. Why don't you draw those six gauges? There's six circles. You can imagine them like a, a clock face, if you like, or a, a rev counter on a car. It doesn't matter how you draw it in some ways. You can draw them as a circle or a, or a line. That's not important. The question is this. Just draw them out and ask yourself the question, how am I doing? How are you doing physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, financially, and vocationally i wonder how are you doing in each of those areas if you had to gauge yourself from naught to 10 maybe where would you be and listen don't do the usual thing of going oh, I must be a five not too good not too bad i always want to like ban five because everyone goes oh i just put myself as a five no no how are you doing really be honest no one's going to mark this but the purpose of it is to analyze and help yourself know how you're doing. It's easy to say to somebody, like I might say to my friend Andy, how are you doing? Well, there's all sorts of answers to that. Good. Excellent. But in some of those areas, you might be doing well. In other of those, you might be struggling. Physically, how are you doing? Are you tired or are you energized? Seasons of life affect this. If you've got small kids, then we... Being foster carers always have small kids through our house. You know, that that affects how you're feeling physically, probably. Are you you physically fit? Are you sleeping enough? It's estimated that getting the right amount of sleep can give you an additional 30% of energy. How's your diet? Are you exercising enough? Are you being a good steward of your body? You've only got one until your resurrection one but assuming you don't want to get that quite yet, then are you looking after the one you've got right now? How are you doing spiritually? Are you in love with Jesus? Are you enjoying times with him? Or is it like walking through treacle for you at the moment? What about relationally? How are you doing relationally? Some relationships give life, don't they? You hang out with some people and it's just life to you. It gives you energy. I spent a weekend recently with my friends in Romania, just hanging out with them. And that was fun. It was life. It was energizing. It's great. But other people you spend time with, they drain you, don't they? You say, oh, gosh, it's hard work. How are you doing relationally? Emotionally, how are you doing emotionally? That's one that people often miss. Are you under pressure? Are you feeling it? If you're low emotionally, that's when you can make some poor, you're more likely to make poor decisions. Are you looking after yourself emotionally? Being low on the emotional gauge can lead to escapist behavior, looking for the quick fix, whatever that might be for you. And being consistently low, just end, you end up skimming life, just like juggling all the plates, trying to keep the balls in the air, not really giving yourself to anything how you doing financially is there margin in your life right now or are you under pressure financially how you doing vocationally do you, you got a sense of God's call upon your life do you do you know what it is that God is speaking to you about right now what he's calling you to I think this thing is worth doing every now and then and if you're married, to talk to your spouse about where, where you are with each other. If you're not, talk to a close friend going, hey, this, I've, I've been doing this exercise. What do you think? Is that fair? Sometimes getting somebody else's perspective is helpful. Dave Smith, in his book, uses this picture uh, and then goes through the life of Elijah. <coughs> Excuse me and uses some of this material to sort of land it in the life of Elijah. I'm sure you know his story well, but he had some great highs and some some very deep lows. That was life for him. You know, you need to know what energizes you, what refreshes you, what gives you life and what drains you, so that you're aware of it. I want to show you another picture. that there? Yeah, there we are. Some years ago at the Global Leadership Summit, a guy called Wayne Cordero, I think you pronounce his surname, did a talk called Dead Leader Running. I remember listening to this back in 2006. And, um, and he describes sort of life, and he was talking particularly about emotional energy. And he was saying it's like you've got a tank in your life. Do you know what fills your tank and what drains you? Because as your emotional tank goes down, there are various alarm bells that will go off. As that starts to go down, you'll hit a level where you may get an anxiety attack. If it goes down a little bit more, it may hit the sort of level where there's some sort of emotional breakdown. And if you let it drain all the way down, you may be looking at a nervous breakdown. The problem, he says, is this. Most of us in ministry, have an outflow. You know, we're giving out all the time, aren't we? We're giving to people. We're giving ourselves to people, to situations, to pastor, to care, to love, to leads. That's what God calls us to. That's great. But what is it that's refreshing you and inputting your tank? The problem is that when most of us get busy, our outflow increases And we find that we get busier and busier. So what happens is we cut back on the things that refresh us because we haven't got time for it anymore because we're so busy giving out. He called that one word. He said, that's called suicide. And he's right. If you allow so much more to give out, so you're giving to people, it's draining you, and you're not looking at what comes into you and refreshes you, you are going to hit problems. So the busier you get in ministry, the more responsibility that God gives you, the greater your outflow, the greater your input needs to be as well. So I wonder, before I hand over to to Andy to share something of his story, let me ask you, how are you doing on the dials we had earlier, where are you at right now? And if you had to draw life out as a tank like that, how would it be? And I want to encourage you, we've got some time together this week, but if you're somewhere down here on these levels, be it two or three, you think, oh gosh, it's really not great then I want to encourage you this week, talk to somebody. Don't stay there on your own. There are people here this week who love you, who care for you. If, you're, if you look at that and think, oh gosh, I reckon my tank's half full or just barely a third full, don't stay there on your own. Talk to somebody about it. Get some people around you who can not only pray with you, but help you and support you and work with you to get you into a healthier place. Because when you are in a healthier place, when you're leading yourself well, you're in a better place to care for others. You're in a better place to give of yourself, to love, to care, to pastor and to lead. So looking after yourself is not selfish. It is vital for your well-being and for the well-being of those around you, be it your small group or your church, your ministry area, whatever area God has given you responsibility in, the best thing you can do to the people that you care for is give them a healthy and better version of you. Amen? Right, let's, I was bang on time, how about that? Never has there been a greater miracle.
2: <laughs>
1: well, Andy, let's welcome Andy as he comes.
0: Thanks, Graham, wonderful. Well, before I, um, I kind of get cracking, just uh, a couple of book reviews. If you've not kind of read The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer, then where have you been? Um, great, great books. I'd really encourage you to, um, to read that, found it very useful. Um, I like this one just because it says to hell in the title. To Hell with the Hustle um, is another really, really helpful book, uh, just in terms of kind of some of the things Graham has been been talking to us about. Um, In terms of, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about my journey um, with uh, sort of challenging mental health with depression um, and anxiety, and some books that I found really helpful, particularly uh, was this one Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess. Uh, by Dr. Caroline Leaf. Uh, She's a lovely born-again spirit neuroscientist. Uh, So she, (laughs) what could could I tell you? But she is very, very good. So that's a very, very helpful book. Um, And then just uh, The New You. Um, uh, And I'd encourage you, if you're you're struggling in any way, shape or form, those books are really helpful um, to look at. So, I think you know it's a really important topic that we are touching on um, today, and it's really important that we stimulate study and teaching about mental health um, and Graham's just done a, a really, really good uh, example of how we do that, but we also I think need to allow open and truthful conversations about uh, the experience of, of mental health um, and'm I'm, I'm going to do that um, and then we need to be able to actually have the conversation and ask the questions uh, uh, that we, wanna, we want answers to around mental health, and so we do want to open up uh, towards the end of this session uh, opportunity um, to do that um, i've been married to Hazel for thirty years, um, and she 's a pharmacist she 's a prescribing clinical pharmacist um, specializing in, in depression, um, and so hazel's very helpful to have around because there's obviously issues of medication and all those sorts of things so um, she's able to kind of really speak uh, into that um, and um, until the beginning of this year I led uh, the eldest team at Lyspring in Horsham, uh, been doing that for over a decade Uh, But now I remain uh, as an elder, serving 50% of the time, um, and then the other 50% of my time is uh, working with the Christ Central Apostolic team and serving the churches there. Um, And um, I I work particularly in Romania, um, and uh, with Joseph Mawila in in Zambia, um, Tanzania, um, and Kenya. Um, And so I think, I mean, that's just what I do, really. Um, But... I think as part of this seminar, I really wanted to kill, if I could, the stigma um, around mental health, depression um, and anxiety. Um, depression, in, in my opinion, and also my experience, not only has a, a stigma in Christian kind of leadership circles, but with it, there is, or there was, for me anyway, a real deep sense of shame, a sense of feeling... Uh, that feeling of failure, that deep-rooted belief that if I was walking closely with God, living life in the Spirit, then this wouldn't be happening. Um, And again, from experience, others voiced that to me in various clever ways. But nonetheless, that's what they communicated to me. And so my story um, begins really, if you think about 2020, you know, 2020 promised to be an exciting year for me and for us. We just launched Life Spring. It was a year old um, as a church. We just joined Christ Central. We were loving it. Um, I was loving being part of the apostolic team with Jeremy and with Graham and, and everyone else. We were deepening friendships. And in January 2020, um, Jeremy had asked me to go with him and Roger to Mexico. Um, and we had a, a fantastic, fantastic time there. Um, my best friend Nick came with me as he often does. We just love hanging out together. It was just, it was just a great time. Um, when I came back, um, our first granddaughter, first grandchild in fact was, was born and so I was super excited. I've got two boys so it was just great to have a girl in the family whose finger I could firmly wrap myself around and uh, it, was, you know, it was just great A few weeks later, I was able to take Jeremy to Romania uh, to meet the guys there, and um, it was just a wonderful, wonderful time. Things were going well. Life wasn't perfect by any means, but it was good. Um, Personally, as a a church, we'd, we'd come from a very traumatic season, leadership breakdown. I was falsely accused of all sorts of things, both privately and publicly. Um, which resulted in the three, myself and the other two elders, um, with help from Jeremy and, and the team closing down what was King's Church, Horsham, um, and, and starting again. And uh, you know Hazel and I really had to kind of weather that storm together with the other two elders and, and their wives, and we thought we had. We thought we had. Um, sadly, many people in the church um, had left, but God was really gracious to us. He'd spoken really clearly to us about this new church, given its name, where we were to meet, um, and everything seemed to be lining up. And we, we were now on that up and up. Things were going really well. And then you know what's coming, right? COVID hit. And uh, working from home, remote church, not allowed out unless you're an essential worker, which obviously Hazel was, so she was out at work just like normal. Um, and I learned very quickly not to be saying life is probably d- is different for everybody during COVID. For our medics, it wasn't different at all. Uh, they just kept doing what they were so brilliantly doing. But, you know, for me, my days were spent alone um, every day. And to be honest, I really enjoyed it at first. Um, you know, I'm an introverted extrovert. So I love being around people, but I recharge by being on my own. Um, and so I loved, I loved it at the beginning, um, you know, I love being with people, but I get what I call peopled out, you know, uh, I just get peopled out, and, and the first six months of COVID, I don't know what they're like for you, but it was amazing, you know, there was problem solving, how do we meet as a church remotely, uh, you know, how do we do church remotely, how do we pastor remotely, how do we build community remotely, we, we converted our building into what I could only describe as Elstree Studios, Um, we had multiple stages, online church, so when you've, if you've seen Devoted uh, online for the last two years, that was from our building and that's what Sundays look like every Sunday um, for us and uh, we did things like Thought for the Day on Facebook, six days a week, every week for six months um, I'm, I got a sales background, so I, I developed call sheets for all of our elders, so they could phone round everybody in the church. So every five to six weeks, every member of the church has spoken to one elder, um, and then over a period of, of whatever it was, three four months, they'd spoken to every elder. So it was it was an exciting time. Things were happening. You know, it was it was great. I was exercising regularly. I was losing weight. I'd rekindled my love for cooking. Um, and so I was able to cook dinner for Hazel when she came home from work. Um, I quickly realised that being at home all day and then when Hazel got in from work, asking what time dinner would be um, would, would shorten my life expectancy. <laughs> so, so we did that. The weather was great. We used to go walking after, after dinner. It was great. And then you remember the November lockdown and, and, and that was tough. That was harder going back in to kind of lockdown again. And, um, you know, I managed to kind of battle through, I've always struggled with kind of what I'd call some kind of melancholy, you know, those cycles of just just being um, down a little bit, um, uh, and, you know, that, that often kind of raised up, but, but Christmas was coming, we were going to be allowed to meet with family for five days, it was great, that's how I recharged with my kids and my parents and my siblings and and, and uh, Hazel's uh, siblings and, and just hanging out so there was all of that to kind of hang on for and that, that regular cycle that like I said of being peopled out I wasn't whatever the opposite of being peopled out was that's what I was um, you know and, and then Christmas was cancelled pretty much um, and that with hindsight actually was a bigger blow to me than I'd initially really anticipated And so when the beginning of 2021 came, came and went, you know. And to be honest, I felt in my spirit that essentially 2021 was going to be more of the same, you know, in terms of COVID lockdowns. Remember saying that to Hazel? She goes, "Oh, you're just miserable." And I'm like, honestly, I don't think we're going to get much change out of 2021 in terms of kind of lockdowns and and everything else. And I wasn't wanting to be a kind of prophet of doom and gloom. And I know I was disappointed, but that's kind of how I felt. And as I've said, I've always had these melancholic cycles, I guess you'd call them. And over the years, I just learned how to deal with them, how to kind of pull myself out of them. I could, I could exercise or I spend time with people that, that, that encourage me. And, and, and so I was able to do that. Um, as I say, spending time with my kids and their kids and family, all those kind of things just help, helped me. But actually, in January 2021, I just felt myself slipping into what I thought was just one of those cycles. Um, however, it, it proved to be a lot, a lot more than that. Um, the things that I used to use to be able to get me out of that funk were not working, and I could feel myself slipping from melancholy into to what I, I now realize was depression. And uh, one day, I, I found myself just sitting at my desk uh, in my study, feeling very low. And then, and then from nowhere, really, there was just this incredible sense of sadness that just kind of swept over me, and I just started weeping, and I just couldn't stop. Um, and uh, it, it was just, I was overwhelmed with I don't know what, um, but there was just that overwhelming feeling, and. Uh, it just seemed to come from nowhere. It, it was caused by nothing other than this, this darkness that was engulfing me. And eventually I remember on that day, you know, just trying to pull myself together and go, come on, Andy, you know, managing to kind of get a grip, only to find as the moments passed that just another wave would just crash over me again. And I just couldn't I just couldn't control the tears. Um, and with that came all sorts of fears um, and anxieties um, as well. Um, you know, how can I be like this? I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm a, I'm a church leader, for crying out loud. I'm on the apostolic team. You know, what is, is going on? How can I be depressed? What will people say? What will Hazel say? You know, and it's like, come on, Andy. Like, get a grip of yourself, you know pull yourself out of it, and this, this went on for, for several days, and I, I told no one, you know, I was in that, I can, I can beat this, I prayed hard, but I just felt like my, my prayers were bouncing off the ceiling, you know, the presence of God was, was nowhere to be found, you know, the Holy Spirit just felt impossible to find, and, you know, eventually I told Hazel what was going on, and, and she was absolutely brilliant, you know, it's strange that when you're In the depths of depression, it feels like no one else can help. It it, it feels very isolating um, and shame and fear actually exacerbate that feeling. And so you hide it and you, you cover it up and you just hope that it goes away. Um, and as I said, Hazel's a prescribing pharmacist, specialising in depression and, and anxiety. So you thought smart thing to do would be to talk to your wife, Andy. But you know, it, it, it's—I can't explain it. It's just this: the shame, the fear of it all, the sadness that's that's there. It, It's—it's just—it's it, just hard. Um, and Hazel was great. She loved me. She supported me. She encouraged me to speak to my doctor to get medication you know, which was totally the right thing to do. You know, before meds, I was unable to really do very much, as these kind of tides of of darkness just kept coming in. I was not really able to kind of dig dig into what was going on on the inside of me. I really didn't have the oomph to kind of find out, to exercise, or to do very much other, really, than struggle through those kind of must-do work tasks of the day. And I must have been horrible to live with. Um, and in the Q&A, if you want, you can ask Hazel just how horrible I was to live with. Um, or how difficult it is to live with someone that's struggling um, with those things. And the doctor uh, prescribed to me Phloxetine um, or Prozac. Um, and uh, it, was, it was then, once I'd been to the doctor, that I thought, you know, I need to tell the eldership team uh, you know the guys I do I do life with them um, as that was going on and uh, you know I just remember being sitting with them and just saying guys I'm, I'm not okay and that's all I could tell them <laughs> really is that I'm, I'm just not I'm just not okay um, and you know the, the 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 fear that I had the all of those anxieties didn't, you know, they amounted to nothing. They, you know, they, they, was, they were just great friends, as, as you'd expect. You know, we'd already been through so much together. Uh, We've been through the ringer together, to be honest, over previous years. But there is something about depression and its shame and its fear that, that surrounds you that isolates you to not go to, to the places where, where there'll be life. You know, I mean, I'm employed by the church. What if I can't do my job? You know what if this is me now? I'm broken. Will I ever get fixed? Is this just me? Will it ever go? You know these were all the thoughts that um, that I was thinking, Um, and it's actually those thoughts that then bring even greater anxiety um, and fear. Um, And it's just a difficult it's a difficult thing to to describe. You know, I mean. And as I say, in reality, the, the eldership team were awesome. They were just brilliant. They, they were so good. Um, but it's, it's those questions of will this ever go? Am I now broken? You know, something happened, I'm broken, and, that, and that's it. Um, and, and as I say, it's hard to explain. You know, I, I, I used to wake up in the morning anxious. You just wake up, and there's panic already coursing through your veins, but before you've even had an opportunity to have a thought, you're anxious. Um, You know, your heart was already pounding. The minute you became conscious, I could, my heart was already (laughs) Um, and, uh, you know, it wasn't like that every morning without exception, but often, often it was like that. There's that adrenaline already racing through your veins before anything has happened. And if I, I woke. Like that, whatever time, laying in bed, you know that kind of dozy state, you're half awake. It's never a good time to just lie there, um, I found. Because what's going on in your heart and everything isn't rational, it's just, it's just there. And, and, and you start to kind of disappear down unhelpful <laughs> rabbit holes. Um, but then, of course, I would wake very, very early. Um, and often the worst time for me was that moment of lying in bed trying to get to sleep when your brain starts racing. So I used to stay up late in the hope that I would just put my head on the pillow and that would be it. And then I would wake up really early in the morning. And so then I was like really tired during the day. And sometimes the only way I could get through the day would be to kind of take a nap and just try and kind of catch up with all of that. And, but it, you know, the challenge of having a nap is there's always the possibility of waking up anxious again. Um, and so, as I say, it was—it was, all of that was going on and I took that kind of deep breath, spoke to the other elders about it um, telling them about the kind of anxiety, which was, for me was particularly heightened through uh, not actually through confrontation, but through the fear of confrontation the, the potential for confrontation, the, the potential for disagreement um, and, and all of that, and as I say, of course, they, they were brilliant, our trustees were brilliant um, and the church was brilliant, actually, because I've, I've never hidden this. Um, we, we chose to speak to the church and, and tell them what was going on and, and all of that. Um, you know, and relationships are key in, in all of this. For the person struggling, as I say, there's, there's always that fear of how people will respond, how, how will they cope with this kind of often hidden illness. And then that feeds your anxiety because you're worried about what they'll think and leads to more waves of depression. Um, and the fear of, of how people will respond when you tell them actually prevents you from doing the very thing that you really you really need to do to find freedom. Um, so for me, that was telling the elders breakthrough moment, and they did nothing really other than love me and sit with me and release me and and just give me unconditional friendship um, without judgment. Um, you know, you'll have to speak to them, I guess, but. But, you know, they never kind of um, spoke like they understood because they didn't. They just circled the wagons and protected me. Um, and they supported me unconditionally. And that was just incredible. The same was true of Jeremy and Graham and the apostolic team. Um, and not only supported me, but then supported the, the Lifespring um, team as well. And so I've got no idea why you're here. What, what is it that's sort of caused you to come, maybe you've, you've suffered alone with depression, anxiety or both, maybe you've, you've got your own mental health battles, maybe you see the challenge of, of mental health and, and you just want to know more so you can help, I've got no idea, um, but what I do know is, is that it's very different for everyone, everyone's story is very different and I recently read a brilliant book called Gospel Wakeful, Wakefulness by Jared Wilson and in there there's a great chapter on depression. Um, And he puts it like this, which I totally resonate with. He says, what does depression feel like? Like the psalmist in Psalm 42, my tears have been my food. There are many times no emotional impulses at all, just an enduring apathy, a profound sense of blah. I recall this quite well, depression may cloud over all high and low ground. There is no sorrow for something sad or joy for something happy. There is only a numbness, thick and unaffected. There are other times the, the, the swings are drastic, nothing particularly sad has occurred, but deep sadness strikes, bringing uncontrollable weeping at the slightest event or no event at all. I recall this quite well too. Depression may feel like inside, your insides are all knotted up or it may feel like nothing at all. And that can actually be more frightening than pain. It may cause hair trigger responses to the most minor of incidents or complete ambivalence to major events. It can lead to binge eating or a complete <coughs> lack of appetite, depression becomes all-consuming. It becomes self-subsisting, offering tears for food. And that was often how I felt. Um, overwhelming sadness for me, but, but um, times of incredible anxiety sometimes too. Um, but often just that sense of not enjoying anything, it, it's just that sense of, um, as, as he put it. And you know, I did the best I could every day, I read my Bible, you know, I did that but felt very little, I prayed, I cried out to God, um, not really sensing anything often, forced myself to exercise and fill up the day um, and all of those things but there's just that real sense of just every day and you know, this has been a big challenge or it was for me, this kind of overwhelming sadness and tears and tiredness, it just means you want to do nothing most of the time. Um, and you want to avoid anything that possibly kick off that anxiety. So you often could just, well, I felt, just going through the motions, and it's almost like observing what's going on in the third person. You're kind of observing yourself in a, in a situation, but not re- you, you, and therefore feel detached from it. You're not, you're not really feeling it. No joy, no sadness, no fear, no highs. And, and so really, that was, that was me. So w- what I want to do in the few minutes I've got left really was, Ask the question, how, how did I fight the funk? How, how, how did I fight that? And, and for me, I've got it into capsules, champions, and counselling three C's, because I'm a good boy, really. Capsules, I've already talked about the importance of getting good medical advice. Um, you know, be reassured that medicine is not a second class healing. God, in His mercy and His common grace, has given us doctors and medicine, and there's no shame in using them. If anyone tells you that you should just commit it to God or that this is something um, to do with not having enough faith or something, then avoid the temptation to smack them in the chops. (laughs) But do ask them if they take a tablet for a headache or a migraine or an ache or pain or antibiotics. There's no difference. It is a medicine that helps restore you to health. It may not fix you on its own, but it will help you to recovery. And I'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. And I, I, the other C is champions. You know, depression is isolating. Um, but the enemy uses it to make you isolate yourself more. Um, and you believe that no one will truly understand. And to some extent, you're right. Um, unless they've been where you are um, and if they've been where you are they probably won't ask you why do you feel like you do or what, what do you think's triggered it um, because often you don't know it's just, it's just there, you have no clue of what's triggering it, triggering it really, um, or I didn't and so often you isolate yourself, people mean well um, but it's hard but you do need champions and I had two amazing champions Hazel I've already mentioned my wife uh, and my great friend Joseph Moila in Africa, um, and as I said, there's another side to this story, which is about living with someone struggling with, with depression. And Hazel's done an amazing job; she just loved me and prayed for me, and you know, put up with me and helped me. Um, and and it's brilliant. But as I say, I've also had a truly amazing friend in Joseph Moila, you know, and he agreed to this time that he would be my My prayer partner through this, that he would pray for me when I could not, he would believe God for me when I didn't, he would have faith for me when my faith tanks were empty, and he would stand with me and hold me up when I felt I could no longer stand by myself. Um, You know, We know that Holy Spirit is a comforter, and what the Bible calls a paraclete, one who comes alongside. Well, Joseph and Hazel were my, my paracletes in this season, and Joseph came alongside, as I say, as his friend who would love and encourage and support um, and trust me in encouraging me, um, when, which is tough when you've got someone who's, who's decided that they are unencourageable. Um, but, but Joseph, you know, did. He never once, ever glibly said to me, It will be okay. Um, and I thank him for that. He just encouraged me in God. He prayed with me online, of course. He's a long way away in Africa. Um, and he reached out to me often. He never condemned me, judged me, or, or, or even challenged me. He just came alongside and prayed. He only asked me to do one thing every day. Um, and I didn't do it absolutely every day. But, but it was what the Africans call <laughs> confession and declaration, which I balked at because it sounds a little bit too health and wealth for me. Um, but actually, what, what Joseph was encouraging me to do is what you read many of the psalmists doing. It's just confession and declaration. You know, why are you downcast, O oh my soul? Trust in God. Um, and so that's what he did um, for me. Now I'm, I'm aware I'm, I'm running out of time, but let me give you one, of the, one or two examples. So this was one of the Psalms that I wrote, or if I was telling Joseph, it was one of my confessions and declarations. So... How long, O Lord, must I continue on this roller coaster of sadness and darkness of soul? I dread each morning, wondering if today will be a good day or if it will be a day returning to sorrow and disappointment. I'm weary of sadness. I'm tired of tiredness. I long for deep and peaceful sleep. My desire is for the joy of my salvation. My soul longs for the shalom of your tangible presence, yet you seem so distant and far off. How long till once again I can soar on wings like eagles in worship and praise, yet my strength fails me and my passion feels as small as an ember. But I choose to put my hope in you, for your word declares that those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. I confess that I'm weak, but you are strong. I declare that the joy of the Lord is my strength and in your presence is fullness of joy. So I will seek your presence all the days of my life. Amen. Um, and so it, it's, it's, it's just, I found it super, super helpful just to be able to kind of do that. Uh, one more. Today I acknowledge that my sin is not without consequence and negatively impacts my life if I remain unrepentant. However, if I confess my sin, he is faithful and just to forgive sin and purify me from all unrighteousness. This morning I truly repent of both my willful sin and those I commit unintentionally, knowing that because of my confession, he will listen, he will not ignore my prayer or withdraw his unfailing love from me. Where there is unforgiveness in my heart towards others because of the hurt, of hurt, please help me find grace, mercy and compassion towards them. I forgive all who have spoken against me, told lies about me and believed lies about me. I choose to forgive those who have and continue to believe the worst of me. Forgive me if when I look to people rather than you. Today I trust in your unfailing love. I receive your forgiveness, grace and mercy and I resolve today to turn away from unforgiveness, willful sin, bitterness and once again put my hope fully in you. So for me that was something I found like really, really helpful and if you want at some point, go and have a look at Psalm 42 and just look at how the psalmist writes I'll just do the first two verses and then my interpretation. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? I'm dying from the lack of your presence, God. Where are you? And if you look, you'll see that as you go go through the Psalms, and particularly that one. Um, You know, there are many... Famous people in our Christian world that struggled with depression. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones would be one. And he says, have you realised that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you in the moment you wake up in the morning. Remember what I was telling you about that? You have not originated them, but they start talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday. Somebody is talking. Who is talking? Yourself is talking to you. Now, this man's treatment was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? He asks. This soul has been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, Self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. And that is just that confession and declaration. The other thing to say uh, during that time is that I had uh, counselling, professional counselling. Uh, and I was, I'll be honest with you, prior to that, I was the champion of scepticism when it comes to counselling. Um, and now I'm a champion for it. I absolutely love it. Um, and for me, it was the, 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 having the meds meant that I wasn't like this unable to control or plan or, or, or prepare for anything. The meds allowed me to be consistent. Um, and then when I was able to do the counselling, uh, that allowed me to connect with my feelings, understand my feelings. I didn't realise how rubbish I was at that. Understanding what was really going on. Um, because I was, I was consistent in my, in my emotional state. And that allowed me time to then build up a tool set and build in habits into my life that would then sustain me when I came off of the meds. Um, And so that's why, you know, the meds won't fix you, I don't think, but they will help you get to that point where you're stable enough to build in a healthy lifestyle, the things that Graham was talking about, in order for you to both come off the meds and live a healthy life. Now, Hazel will tell you that there are chemical imbalances in people's bodies that need replenishing, and that's true, but that's not my story. That's not what, what I'm, I'm kind of talking about here. Um, and, you know, the, the reality is, is, is that this is still a journey. This is my journey. I'm still on that journey. Um, you know, there are times when I still feel... Really down. We were on holiday just a few weeks ago, and literally out of nowhere, I was in tears. I, I don't know why, but it was one day. I'm I'm used to talking to Hazel about it, so I could sit. I didn't have to hide. I could just cry and speak to Hazel and put in place the things that I've learnt to do. And it came and it went. And whereas before I was always fearful that is it back? Is it back again? Is this now the battle? Whereas now I know that tears come for a night but joy comes in the morning and so there was that sense of knowing that yeah I'm up, it's, it's a wave that's come over me now but but tomorrow will be a good day um, and really that's that's my story um, and um, hopefully that's been that's been helpful but you now my big hope is is that we're just able to break the, the shame um, that I think comes with this through not talking about it, and having talked about it, so many, so many people have, uh, you know, have, have come and spoken to me, um, and I'm able to spend time with those that I can, just to kind of, just to help and in- encourage through it, but, you know, it's important that we, we know those habits that we can put in place, prevention's always better than cure, um, and so I think, you know, the things that Graham's talked about is really helpful, um, but also, you know, if you're struggling, if... if kind of the story I've told rings some bells, then, you know, God's good, even in your depression, he's good. And, uh, you know, just, just hold on to that, but don't hold on alone. Don't, don't do it alone. Take a deep breath. You know, go to people that you know love you um, and allow them to circle the wagons and protect you. Um, and that's really my story. thank you thanks um so we said that there'd be time for uh questions um which i'm happy to take or feel to hazel or graham depending on 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 what those questions are and how difficult they are um, um i I think it depends on 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 the oh, the question for the tape was about Seeking a counsellor should it be a Christian counsellor or a non-Christian counsellor. Um, I think counselling is very individual to the person, and any good counsellor, Christian or not, um, would probably give you a kind of a session whereby they would talk to you to see whether they feel they can help you and, and whether you feel they can help you. Um, and so I think that's something for, for you to do. For me, um, as, as a church leader, I didn't feel... I needed the counselling element to be translated for me into a Christian context. I felt I could do that on my own. So, so my counsellor wasn't a Christian, um, but many other people do have Christian counsellors. So I, I think it's it's what's right for you. Um, it was great, actually. I, 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 you know, I, I fish in swimming pools. I I don't get to meet too many non-Christians, and. Um, one of the things that, uh, well, during my counselling session, we're talking about emotion and she talked about anger. And she said, Andy, didn't Jesus get angry? And I said, yeah, that's in the Bible, Janine. And she goes, is it? And she, I said, yeah, I said, loads of the things you tell me is in the Bible. Or <laughs> well, like what? And I said, well, last week you told me that I, I, I kind of felt like my, my, my issues weren't neurological, they were, they were physical. So something would happen and immediately my gut was full of adrenaline. So I'm saying, that's, that's not going on up here. That's just physical. And she said, no, 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 you've got neural pathways that are so wide that those thoughts are going down there and not even touching the sides. And what you need to do is we need to learn how you can grab hold of those thoughts and you choose where they go. And so I said, what, like taking every thought captive and making it <laughs> obedient to Christ? Yeah. Um, so yes, yeah, so I, I had lots of fun times with her on that. But it's a very personal thing. I would say, yeah. Yeah, it's a great question. So, so the question really is: uh, Have I put any safeguards in to stop me to stop me slipping back? Uh, and I think probably the, the biggest one is just conversations with Hazel, just learning to talk about um, kind of what's going on on the inside of me um, and before I didn't really know and I certainly didn't know how to put it into words and that was one of the things the counselling really helped me with was the ability to work out what was going on in the inside of me and be able to communicate it um, in helpful ways um, so other people can, can stand alongside you. So. Uh, and I think once I, once you cross the threshold of saying I'm not okay, um, it, it it gets easier uh, the next the next time. Um, and equally, I think it's easier for those that you've you've taken into that uh, area of confidence to be able to ask, "Are are you okay?" Um, and you know, Joss and the team, when we've had conflict come up um, in the church. Of sort of said Andy you okay with that or do you want one of us to jump in um, and that's why it's helpful to talk about it and what it is that that can trigger it um, and and it does help you you know or or they come alongside you in that in that situation um, so I think yeah, it's that, it's that openness I think it's probably the the biggest thing and and once you've learned what what it is that causes those things then to be able to share those then <laughs> With with the people around you. great. Thank you. Yes. Okay so the, the question is is often when we listen to people and their challenges and problems we want to fix it um, and so how how was it for Hazel or what advice is there for people how to listen well to someone with the problems I've been outlining
2: I'm not sure I'm an expert but um, but yeah obviously Andy's found it helpful um I think I think it is exactly that yeah just don't try and try and fix it it's kind of an interesting role reversal actually because generally i think females like to just talk and don't want an answer and don't want to be fixed but just want to get it out and it's kind of it's kind of switched with us now (laughs) so the things that i've been telling andy not to do all along i've had to try and learn to do so just just to listen yeah don't judge i mean ask questions um because i think i could just follow down a particular Track, which probably isn't right at all. So just to ask questions, I guess, and the same in my work, really, just not judgment, just asking questions, figuring out really what they want to do, to help themselves or or, or what you know what's needed, sort of thing. So yeah, is that okay?
0: I think, from my perspective, um, and I mentioned it when I was talking about Joseph. It's the glib answers. It'll all be okay. It just don't help. You know, um, they didn't help me. And I think just, just trying to think carefully about how you word things, just, just think about how things sound, you know, um, just because sometimes it, it, is, it, is, it could be really annoying because you just, you know, it's just like, well, just, just choose to be happy then. It's a decision. And you're like, do you know what? I wish I'd thought about that because. <laughs> If I'd have thought about that like six months ago, this would have been so much better. Um, so it's those kind of things. It's like, you know, whereas what, what is it you're really trying to say? And, and, and you know, we would say, look, don't, don't like partner with your depression. Don't agree with your depression. But it's very easy to then just say, oh, just be happy. Right. So uh, uh, avoid those, those glib answers. But mostly just listen. You know, weep with those who weep. Um, and I think that's probably a, 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 when you're in that dark place, it's it's just knowing people. Like I said, with with the elders and with, and with the, the apostolic team here, there was that sense of weeping with those who weep, while we circle the wagons. And it's just knowing that they're circling the wagons and they've got your back. One more. Then, then, then you have to stay on your own time. I think is what what Graham's saying. But what if there's one more? Yeah. So she was a psychotherapist, so she did all sorts of look well, a few different things. But I found it so, so what, probably the thing I found most helpful. She used a thing called a feelings wheel which is pretty basic, but for me it was like super, super helpful. Um, and, and she was very good. So even though she, she would drive into pushing um, to stuff and ask me difficult questions that, that, uh, uh, that kind of st- stirred emotions, but it was really helpful. Um, and so I think um, I, I, really, I, I found it very, very useful in just connecting with my own emotions and understanding um, kind of what was actually going on um, and so, let's give me a quick example. Just so, just recently at church, a situation cropped up, um, and I could feel that feeling coming. And then, and then as I kind of was able to think about it and apply, I think, do you know what? I'm not anxious. I'm annoyed. And and it was like, whoa, you know. Whereas before, that was everything gets translated into anxiety. <gasps> And it was like, hold on a minute, I'm annoyed, and that's okay. And, and it was okay. Um, but, it's, but but actually, it was the, that counselling that enabled me to try and understand the feelings. You know, she would never let me say, I'm anxious. She'd, Tell me more, what do you mean? What are you anxious about? What, what does that feel like? How is that affecting, how is it manifesting in your body? All of those kind of things, so... As I say, I'm a big, I'm a big fan. Um, but thank you all for your time. Um, we're going to end it there for the sake of the recording. If you do want to ask any more questions, then we'll be here for a little bit um, at the front. Um, but thanks again for your time. Thanks again for just wanting to be part of this journey as we do this in church. It's a really important area of church life. So thank you.